Hello, my name is Nathan Foster, and welcome once again to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. For the Renovare Book Club, we're beginning to work with the book The Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. I was sitting down to record some podcasts for the book club and thought it might be helpful to record one for a general release so that you get a chance to hear from Tish. Tish is a mother of two, Anglican priest, who currently lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Enjoy. Tish, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, no, no. Wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to get to, to get to sit down and talk. Um, can, can you tell us maybe a little bit about, about your book and I'll get the title here, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. And of course it has a cover of peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, it has a great cover, (laughs) a scrumptious, yummy cover. Um, yeah, my book is about, um, well, it takes one ordinary day of my life from waking to sleeping just the most average boring day and I kind of walk with the reader through that one day and we pause at different moments and activities of the day so things like waking brushing my teeth making the bed getting stuck in traffic losing my keys these are actually chapter titles and um and we look at that, and, and so I take these activities, and then I um, think of them as a liturgy of the day. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I'm an Anglican priest, and so I also look at our gathered liturgy and worship, Anglican liturgy in particular, but I draw also from um, some Lutheran folks, some... Um, Orthodox, big O, Eastern Orthodox folks. So, um, but I think I think about the way that the church worships together. Even if your church doesn't consider itself liturgical, um, I think about the way that sort of our tr- gathered worship informs our average day. Mm-hmm. But then I also look at how our average day informs our gathered worship. And so I kind of play back and forth in each chapter between a moment or a practice of worship, things like confession um, and absolution, obviously things like um, things like passing the peace, things like the church calendar. Mm -hmm. And I look at how that um, informs and transforms an average day and, and how an average day sort of plays back and is, on those practices and transforms mm. those practices. So I was trying to look at um, spiritual practices and spiritual life in their most microcosmic form, like the most concrete, um, practical way that this hits the ground. How does this actually look in a completely average day? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the concept of the book is looking at, not only how ordinary life matters, but looking at Christian formation and what does Christian formation look like most of the time Mm -hmm. in most of our lives. So that was, and I wanted to put that in the most concrete sort of down to earth terms as possible. Mm -hmm. So that was Mm -hmm. kind of the idea behind the book. 
Yeah. I, I really, um, I really like how you weave kind of personal narrative within teaching. I mean, it's a, it's such a smooth transition of you're telling kind of your story and things that you're doing, but then you kind of shift into a, just these gentle teaching voices that does that, I mean, did I say that right? Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I felt like I, what I, I was wrestling with all of this stuff for myself, right? I mean, mm -hmm. every writer starts by kind of wrestling with these ideas for themselves. And I, this whole book began when, um, well, I don't know if it began all at one time. It was more of an evolution, but the, <laughs> they but, always are, aren't they? <laughs> but a significant part was I, um, I, was wrestling with everydayness as an idea and just how hard it is for me to live my life in, in the day by day. Mm -hmm. And I um, earlier in my life in my twenties had gone overseas and wanted to like live overseas for the rest of my life and had um, worked with teenage drug addicts and done and um, had participated in, in some kind of, you know, Christian community movements that were pretty high adrenaline mm -hmm. and seemed kind of risky. And then I was in my early 30s and had a brand new baby and a two and a half year old. And I realized the amount of anxiety that I experience internally on a given day here seems so much more than in other places where you know, there was gunfire at night, you know, and this, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the average and the everyday was hard for me. And mm -hmm. so, um, so I, I was wrestling with that. And, um, and, and in that, um, I wrote this piece called courage in the ordinary. And, uh, I just wrote it for my friend, Marsha, actually, cause she had, was, um, in repeatedly asking me to write for her, um, for the, for a blog post called the well with the university. And the response I got was overwhelming. I mean, thousands of people shared this hundreds of people messaged me and wrote me emails from all over saying, I so identify with the struggle. Mm. And so I realized like, this isn't just something I wrestle with. This isn't just a young mom thing. This mm -hmm. is something all of us wrestle with is how, what does it mean to love Jesus in the most quotidian mundane ways? And, mm -hmm. and not just to love Jesus in sort of a, I can sit in my room and love Jesus, right. but what does it mean to be part of mission? Um, for those of us that have mortgages and what does it mean to be part of uh, God's transformation to work for something beyond just ourselves and our own comfort. Um, but when our lives look average and ordinary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I, I started wrestling with that for myself because liturgy and formation is such a huge um, part of my life and what I think about, you know, as a, as a pastor, I, when I couldn't just say as another 
concept of doctrine to hold in my head that ordinary life matters. I wanted to wrestle mm. with how, how does ordinary life matter? So every time I thought about it, I just felt like I want to have people over to my house and us just live a day together, like a rich, like a, something like a day retreat, mm -hmm. but, um, but like the most uh, unspiritual, boring retreat that you could imagine. <laughs> like a day retreat with my children, changing diapers, living our lives, going to work, sitting in a cubicle. Like I wanted us to live our days together mm -hmm. and just stop and be like, okay, let's talk right now about what formation is happening. Yes. How are we being formed in this moment? How are we being formed right now as we're checking email? Like what's happening <laughs> to us spiritually? What are we feeling? Where, where are we experiencing consolation and desolation? Like, what does this look like right now? And um, and you, I couldn't have everyone that I wanted to over to my house to walk through my day. And so the book was sort of my way of scratching that itch. And so, so I appreciate what you're saying about teaching and um, narrative. I I didn't exactly I, I the way that I write. I I don't want to be overly didactic. Um, mm -hmm. But I also don't want to hide the ball in the sense that um, I didn't want to really try to be teaching, but acting like I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, I really just wanted to have a conversation about a day and the way that forms us. And so, um, so it was, it was really came out of a desire to walk with people mm -hmm. and, and to explore this together. And I mean, in an early draft, this actually got taken out of the book. I said, there's obviously so many more moments and facets of a day that we could explore. And I hope other people will write those books and explore all the others, you know, because I think there's a lot more to explore. Yeah. I, this idea of kind of tearing down the walls of sacred and secular and finding God in the midst of changing diapers, washing dishes, sitting in traffic. This feels so important to me, yet for some reason it feels largely lost. Would Would you agree with that? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think this has become an increasingly popular topic, mm -hmm. and there's a whole genre of books that are kind of like Ordinary Life Matters books. Um, I mean, I think uh, maybe it's not fair to say a whole genre, but there's quite a few books that are talking about how ordinary life matters. I think what is missing, and I love a lot of those books, so this is not like a dig on any of those books. I love a lot of those books, and I've read a lot of them, and I've quoted a lot of them in my book. Um, so I wouldn't have the thoughts that I have about ordinary life without them. But I think that um, that we can, I don't know, I think um, sort of spiritual writer types can, um, well, okay, I'll back up and say, <laughs> this, is, this is, sorry, I don't know if this is a good answer, but this is where this is coming from. I was talking to a friend early on about my book and she was like, oh, I, this isn't going to be one of those books where you talk about how you like stare at the way the sun hits your child's hair and like are entranced by the goodness of God <laughs> half an hour. And it was so, it made me laugh when she said that because 
Um, cause I know what she means and what she means is that there's kind of, um, a genre of books that is just sort of like, look how beautiful life is like pay mm. attention, which is a completely mm -hmm. legitimate thing to say. Um, but I also think to tell someone who's sitting in their cubicle or who is, um, you know, really annoyed that their boss just made them stay late or who's beautiful daughter whose son is hitting her hair is not entranced because, you know, her other child is hitting her repeatedly in the leg with a brick or something or a block. <laughs> um, but I think that there can be a little bit of idealism almost mm -hmm. in the way we talk about finding God in the ordinary where um, we really have to acknowledge that the ordinary is often disappointing. The ordinary is often um doesn't feel transcendent. It can feel really boring or lonely or uh, not what we were hoping our ordinary life would look like or um, frankly exhausting, right? Mm -hmm. Just tiring. Um, and so for instance, for work, my chapter on work, I talk about email and I intentionally chose the task that I find the least joy in, in work <laughs> to write. Because I think it's one thing to write about the sacredness and holiness of work when I'm talking about the my big mission, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm talking about engaging people about the questions that most matter, when I'm talking about tending to the poetics of God of in people's <laughs> souls. Um, but I don't want um, – and all of that's real. Like all of that touches my ordinary life. But I also feel like um, there's toil, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we promise so in scripture. And there's long days and there is a sense of meaninglessness that we have to address. Because it's not just that you have a s sense of meaninglessness because you're a sinner and you're doing it wrong. And if you could just do it right, your daily life would just be jumping from one transcendent moment to another. I think the sense of meaninglessness we feel sometimes in a day is really part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. It's part of what it means to um, have eyes that are limited, which all of us do, right? To have sight that is limited. And so, um, so yes, I think that it can get lost. I think that it is a recovered conversation, a recovering conversation. I will say that I think a lot of people have a notion that ordinary life matters, but they don't know why or mm -hmm. how to engage that mm -hmm. in a practical way. Mm -hmm. And so it's not enough, um, as I said before, to just kind of carry this around in our head like a mantra, you know, um, like what I didn't want the book to be is that, you know, as you're folding laundry or sitting in the in traffic um, or riding up the elevator to your work, you need to be thinking, this matters to Jesus, this matters to Jesus. I mean, <laughs> over and over, because I don't know if that helps. I wanted instead to look at um, what's happening to your soul by folding laundry every day, or mm -hmm. what's happening in your soul by going to this place of work and taking these uh, this elevator with people that you know or don't know or coworkers that annoy you or that you um, find really charming. Like what is the, what are these sort of interactions with our own work or task 
how does that change our worship and how is that part of worship? So I think a lot of people have the notion that ordinary life matters, but they don't know how to plug into that mm-hmm. in their actual lives. So I think that's the next conversation that has to happen is um, I think at, at some point, well, especially for those of us who grew up in the 90s, there was like a rejection of the ordinary and um, a rejection of everything that wasn't like full of adrenaline and worship and risk. Um, and I think as, as those, as we age, we're realizing um, that some of the patterns we had for the Christian life were really unsustainable and we need deeper, um, more quiet sometimes, uh, more Im- embedded and ancient practices to sustain our faith. Mm-hmm. But I think um, we also need to learn how to how to plug in to those in really mundane ways. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's kind of the next conversation that has to happen. Not just that ordinary life matters, but how does it matter? And how do we find um, God in it? I like this because the answer is not to just be present to each moment. And like you said, look at the sunshine on my kids hair because there's <laughs> so many challenges to it but but then to i mean i mean for me it's an, an issue of going where are you in this and what can i notice and pay attention and and often for me it's as simple as um i say hi <laughs> right i'm folding the laundry and i, I go hi what are we doing here, right? And yeah. just beginning a conversation. Um, but w- what is it for you? I mean, that that question of how do we go about, um, uh, I don't know, would you say finding God in the ordinary? Is that a phrase you would use? Um, sure. Yeah, I think I would be okay with that phrase. <laughs> oh, give me a different one. <laughs> or maybe being found by God through the ordinary. I mean, I think <laughs> well, that's, that's just as much... Um, I think that's what's happening um, as, I mean, I, yeah, God isn't hiding. Um, yeah. So he's kind of seeking us out in this stuff, but yeah. Um, so what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I like that being found by God. How do you be found by God in the ordinary? Yeah. Um, well, I don't think there's one way I, I, in other words, I, um, I talked yesterday in in my sermon at church about how salvation is not ever a gimmick. It's a miracle. It's always miraculous. And conversion is always miraculous. And I, um, I think there's something about this too, that there's not, there's not a gimmick or something I can sell. That's like, this is the way to find God in the ordinary. I wish I could because (laughs) very successful book. Right. Um, but it, because I think that everyone's ordinary looks really different, mm-hmm. right? And so um, the life stage of uh, fifth graders at my church versus new moms versus retirees, uh, what their day looks like is really different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just life stage. I mean, then when you get into like single or married, whether you're um, poor or wealthy, like all of these affect what our ordinary looks like and the where God meets us in that. My friend Jen Pollock Michelle said this, but um, she talked about a baptism of the imagination. 
she she talked about my book as a baptism of the imagination, which is really kind. But I think that um, that's what we need is to begin to imagine our daily life in different ways and what that might look like. Mm-hmm. To begin to imagine how God could use, um, how God might use things like um, laundry and work in our lives. Mm-hmm. So um, I think some of it is letting our imaginations be changed. And I think that happens through practices. I think it happens through liturgy. I think it, a lot of our imaginations transforming happens through the practices of church that we of the church that we engage in in our local bodies. So something like the Eucharist, that that meal, I think changes the way we enter other meals around the table. Mm-hmm. Um Something like, I talk in in my book about baptism. I think baptism changes the way that we think about ourselves, but I think it also changes the way we interact with the world. Um, Even things like water. I mean, I think it's hard for me to see bodies of water without without thinking about baptism Mm. and what that means. And Mm -hmm. so... um, I think some of it is letting our imaginations get infected by church practice. <laughs> and um, so one of the ways to say, how, how does God find us in the ordinary is through entering in um, to practices of the church that transform our imagination about our day. <laughs> and that might give us kind of eyes to see how God might be working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so that all sounds really beautiful, but for me, a <laughs> lot of times, <laughs> that actually looks like um, that looks really hard because it often looks like repentance for me. And so, mm-hmm. things like, um, I mean, that's why I talk in the book about losing my keys and um, fighting with, my with your husband. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, because. Um, it's not just staring at the beauty of my child's hair or eyes, which sometimes <laughs> it is, but sometimes it's that um, I am really discontent in the day with my circumstances and angry and or I am really dismissive of the people I love. And in that moment or soon after having to say, OK, what? What's going on here? What this deep ingratitude for the place I'm in? What's underneath that? Mm-hmm. What's what am I holding to that? I mean, obviously, if I have ingratitude, I think that I need something that God isn't giving me. Mm-hmm. And so, where is that coming from? And what's a practice that I could enter into right now that might remind me that? Um, God is our shepherd and makes our cup runneth over. Like what Mm -hmm. kind of practice could I enter in to help me pause long enough or to repent for my, to my husband for when I'm so dismissive, you know, what would help me to actually slow down and listen to him? Um, yeah. What does help you? Um, okay. So 
I think for me, I mean, the practice of confession and repentance. I mean, I do think that, um, and not just for me, I would say for all of us. I mean, I think when I notice deep discontentment and anger stopping and saying, um, and saying a prayer of confession. And it's been really helpful for me to enter in Anglican prayers of confession to have, instead of just, I'm sorry, God, to be able to say, I have sinned against you in thought, mind, and deed by what I have done and what I have left undone. Mm. I have not loved my neighbor. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent Mm. for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and blot out all our transgressions and renew our life. I mean, the um, the words there are more theologically rich than what I could get to on my own that mm-hmm. are show, teaching me what I'm actually repenting for. I'm not just sorry because I screwed up. I mean, that is part of it. But the heart of that is that I haven't loved God with my whole heart and I have not loved my neighbor as myself. Mm-hmm. Um so entering into that in a daily bait, I mean, I'm talking about like in my kitchen um, <laughs> to be able to take a moment and say that um, for me, um, for me, there are things like um, I talk about this in the book, but remembering our baptism in the morning, remembering our, our identity in Jesus Um Slowing down, I think, is a large one for me, just making space. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't mean by that, I should say, because when people, when I say slowing down, people may think I mean like, you know, spending hours a day in silence. And if you are in a stage of life that you can do that, then go for it. Um, (laughs) But I mean literally like um, not checking my smartphone when I'm stuck at the traffic light. Like, I mean, I mean, slowing, like leaving space in the most, um, most like small ways possible, like the small moments of the day. Um, I think there are things like taking care of our body that we do every day that I think are really, really moments of worship and really moments to remember why God gave us bodies and how our bodies are part of worship. Um, and then obviously things like the church calendar and entering into that, reading scripture, um, going to church, like actually going and participating in a local body. Um, these are the kinds of practices that actually shape our imaginations. So I think we don't have to make them up. In other words, there's no amendment telling you to read your Bible and go to church and say confession and take care of your body. I mean, none of those things are revolutionary ideas. Mm-hmm. These are things that if those of us who've grown up in the church have heard, you know, our whole lives. But um, but they're not things that we do to check them off a list so we can be right. spiritual giants. They're things we do because they actually shape uh, the way that we imagine the world and imagine the good life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think entering into these really old practices that thousands of Christians have doesn't seem revolutionary, but I think it's actually what sustains the Christian life. Mm-hmm. You know what, it, for me, it's often just a pause and just, a, just enough to kind of go, what's going on? And, and maybe that leads to a re- repentance. Maybe that leads to 
you know, a, a change there or a, a shift in what I'm doing. But these little pauses throughout the day of, oh, breathe, Nate, um, mm-hmm. you know, s- slow down a little bit. Uh, and, and then that question of what, what are you up to right now? What mm-hmm. are we doing together? I don't know. Does that fit for you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think pauses can look different. I mean, sometimes pauses look like literal pauses, like pausing Mm -hmm. and not taking in any information, not being on the phone, just pausing. But I think sometimes pauses can be, um, you know, going on a walk with a friend Mm -hmm. or um, having a really good meal Mm -hmm. um, or going to sleep early. Like, I think what I'm saying is that Sometimes it's a literal pause, but I think that making space for beauty in a day really helps us to pause mm-hmm. and take stock. I think making space for space, making space for boredom, mm-hmm. um, even things like we were saying about folding laundry, like that's a moment in our day that's not full of anything else besides that. And so there's something in that of the sort of entering into boredom, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even in our chores, even in doing the dishes at night, that can create space um, yeah. for our minds and for prayer and for practices that are really, really important. Mm-hmm. So this is like a very pragmatic example of repentance in my own life. In the last month, we've moved across the country mm-hmm. and and my father has passed away. So both of those things have happened in the last month. And so it's been a really, really intense and hard and full, griefful, it's not a word, grievous month, as you would imagine. And so I was telling a friend, this is just getting very pragmatic about what you were saying of how does this look like in my life. I was telling a friend um, this week it was actually my friend Michael Ware who just wrote a book that everyone should buy, um, and but I haven't read his book yet because I said since um, since I've moved and Dad passed away I haven't read at all and I love reading um, and I'm noticing uh, that at night I just I more than I normally do I go to screens I watch TV or I get on Twitter or I'm going to screens way more than normal. And not that there's something wrong with going to screens at night. And that goes back to what I was saying about, I don't want to tell people this is how you find God and you can't find God if you're on Twitter at night. Cause that's not true. And I think we have to use discernment with this stuff and this isn't a law, but I just noticed in the past few weeks, I'm doing this because I'm afraid of, um, of this space that would open up if I didn't mm-hmm. fill it with screens. The what you're talking about with the boredom, that there can be this sort of existential um, fear or um, or sense of smallness in that, especially I think in times of grief or mm-hmm. sadness, where that if we let ourselves get bored, if we let time be open then we're going to have to encounter um, ourselves in that and God in that in a way that's that's scary. And I'm not talking about that I would like fall on my knees and have some giant encounter with God. I'm talking about just allowing a, a breath in the midst of this. 
And so one of the very basic ways that I need to um, encounter that is to maybe um, turn off screens a little earlier and see what happens Mm -hmm. and see um, what kind of, um, in what way am I avoiding grief um, by avoiding in the day. Yeah. Yep. That's all those things we're running from can come bubbling up. Yeah. And, and not that, I mean, I know that not everyone listening has just had a major loss in their life or a major move, sure. but I, I think that we're sort of, that we're sort of all there and that, um, I think that, um, the idea of boredom, can be something that we have trained ourselves, habituated ourselves to avoid. And I talk about this in my book that I used to wake up with my smartphone. It was the first thing I would do is pick up my (laughs) smartphone and check the news. And I had habituated myself to having a dread of empty space in the day, a dread of boredom. Um, And now I I don't do that in the morning. It seems that I have recently transferred that to the night. But um, (laughs) so so that'll be my next book um, is dealing with that. But I think, um, but I think we habituate ourselves to uh, fill up our moments to avoid um, pausing, as you Mm -hmm. said, to avoid uh, moments that are unfilled. And I think there are ways we can rehabituate ourselves that would actually allow us to be um, fuller people that are more alive and that are more capable of receiving the love of God and giving the love of God to others. And so even, you know, I understand people, if people haven't recently suffered a giant loss, I would still say that, um, that things happen to us by letting moments be still mm-hmm. in a way that we often dread and can habituate ourselves against. And so, um, I mean, I have a friend who serves as a spiritual director for a lot of people. And she, she told me that, um, a lot of the people she meets with, you know, have not recently, they're, they're just regular folks having ordinary times. These are not times of crisis, but she'll just let the first four or five minutes of their session be completely silent. Mm -hmm. And she said that like over 75% of, of the people she meets with start, start crying. They all start (laughs) just sitting in a room with someone else silently Mm -hmm. just brings tears um, for almost all of her clients Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we have have habituated ourselves to have so few times where we're, where we're sitting in, in our, in, in our questions and our doubts Mm -hmm. and our grief that over time, they just, they sort of, there's this massive kind of buildup, I think that, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a, um, there's a show I like. It's called alone. It's on the history channel. Have you ever heard of this? No, it's really good. No. I, don't I don't know I mean, why I'm going to say this, but I'm it, filling my night with screens, so I'll. Speak yes, any here's shows, something right? else to watch. At <laughs> <laughs> any rate, they they it's essentially people are completely alone. They film themselves and they're out in the woods, and whoever lasts the longest gets half a million dollars or something like this. But my point in it is, particularly in the first season, within about three days, 
virtually every single person was in tears. And, and these are, you know, people you wouldn't necessarily think of as crying people. The other thing that happened is, uh, without fail, at some point everybody reaches confession. They begin mm. to reflect on their, their lives and um, what's happened or not happened. That's really, it's a really beautiful That's show. That's amazing. You should write about that. You should write an article about that. Uh, the, the theology of alone, huh? Yeah, <laughs> for real. I won't. I'll leave it for someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Tish, this is great, and um, I'm very excited that we get to dig a little deeper in the book club with your book. So thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, there you have it, learning to be found by God in the ordinary. Hey, I heard a rumor that it's not too late to sign up to engage with others reading Tish's book in the Renovare book club. You can find more information on our website, renovare.org. Hey, I want to give a special thanks to Brian Morricon, who does just a wonderful job mastering and cleaning up my mistakes in this uh, podcast. You may know Brian as a musician, and the music we use for the podcast is from a song he wrote titled Be Kind. This song's become one of our favorites at Renovare. The lyrics of it are just so helpful, so good. Uh, He's released a new rendition of the song, which... Um, you can find at morricon.com. That's M-O-R-Y-K-O-N.com. Thank you so much for listening, and have a good week.